Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck O'Noctane. It is mid-October, and we've nearly reached the end of the year. Finally. We're nearing the election. I've already mailed in my ballot, and after doing so, I felt relieved. There have been so many decisions I've had to make since the beginning of this seemingly never-ending year. Which news source do I follow for accurate information about the pandemic? Do I wear a mask everywhere I go? Do I adhere to social distancing recommendations? Do I stay away from strangers? Do I stay away from my friends? Do I stay away from family? Who do I vote for this year? Is a third-party candidate really a bad vote? Do I send my ballot in the mail? Or do I vote in person? What should I have for dinner? Do I need one more beer tonight, or should I stop and drink water? At least I know the answer to that last question is rarely ever the water. Anyway, I had decision fatigue. I felt like I'd been struggling and straining to make the simplest choices because there seemed to be just too many decisions to make and too many factors to consider, and my brain wanted to throw up. But after I voted, I felt the long finger of choice retreating from my brain's proverbial tonsils, and I relaxed just a bit. That's when I started to think about why decisions can feel so taxing, and I have a hypothesis. First, let's talk about the process of making decisions. How about we make one right now? In order for the decision to have any difficulty, though, it needs to have more than one variable. If I were to ask, would you rather have $20 or $30, and this wasn't some sort of trick, I would hope that any rational person would choose $30. That's what a decision is. It's a rational process. We remove ourselves of as much subjectivity as we can to come to the best conclusion on what option will give us and or the people we care about the most benefit. This must be why we get tired when we get bombarded with decisions. We are put in an endless internal struggle that becomes psychologically exhausting. We only have so much capacity for objectivity. But wait, is decision-making only about objectivity? Let me give you a different example. Let's say you have two friends call you, and they both invite you out to dinner and drinks, or in for dinner and drinks, or for a virtual dinner and drinks, or whatever you're comfortable with in the current COVID scenario. I'm just trying to give an example, and it's tricky with day-to-day life being a bit strange right now, so let me change it up a bit. Imagine it's a year ago, it's Friday night, and you have two different friends that invite you out for dinner and drinks. They both invite you out to an equivalent bar slash restaurant an equivalent distance from where you are. The only difference is that one friend is always spunky and full of energy, and the other is usually relaxed and conversational. The odds of the night going late with a spunky friend are higher than the relaxed pal. Which friend do you pick? Now really think about this scenario for a second. There's a variable I'm not mentioning. How was your day up to the point of the invites? Was it complete garbage? Let's say it was, even though in retrospect, you shouldn't be complaining about a garbage day from 2019. All right. But let's say you had a terrible day. My bet is that you would choose the Friday night scenario that would make you feel better, whether that be to sit and chat about it or to tie one on, go out and party the night away. The decision at that point is clear because your emotional state is clear and the pathway to feeling good is transparent. Well, guess what? It turns out that emotions aren't just part of our decision-making process. They are completely necessary. At least that's the hypothesis of neuroscientist Antonio Damasio. And I'd like to believe that hypothesis. In addition to the previous example, he has collected even more evidence. Damasio had a case that he writes about. It involved a man he refers to as Elliot. After a brain tumor damaged a portion of the frontal lobe of Elliot's brain, his life fell apart. He lost his job, his wife, 
and he was unable to function. But if you were to meet Elliot, you would guess that there was nothing wrong with him. The damage to his brain didn't lower his intelligence at all. His face wasn't droopy on one side. He was able to move and walk completely normally. Somehow, those around him came to the conclusion that Elliot had become lazy. Being a scientist, Damasio investigated further. After spending some time with Elliot, Damasio realized that Elliot could not make a decision to save his life. When given choices for lunch, Elliot would weigh pros and cons endlessly. Hours could pass, and he still wouldn't be able to decide. The other observation that was made about Elliot was that he seemed removed or detached, almost unemotional. Damasio investigated other cases of individuals experiencing severe indecision and found that similar areas of the brain were damaged in these people. Elliot and these other overly hesitant patients had damaged the area of their frontal lobes that connect to their more primitive brains. If you're unfamiliar with brain anatomy, let me give you a super quick overview. Our brains evolved over time from our ancestors. The least evolved parts are in the back and the bottom. Those parts control our automatic responses such as heart rate, breathing, fight or flight. This is the primitive brain. The front part, right above your eyes, is thought to hold our consciousness, our complicated thought, our humanity. In short, if your brain were a Tootsie Pop, as you ate it, you would be slowly dissolving the most advanced part, and when you got to the Tootsie Roll Center, it would be like a lizard's brain, highly reactionary with few plotted actions. And when you ate that, the stick you're holding would represent an unconscious being breathing with a heartbeat. Anyway, so Elliot lost the connection from his whimsical, emotional Tootsie Roll Center to his highly logical candy crust. The candy crust is where we make those decisions. The result? He had no emotional input in his decision-making process, which in turn made it nearly impossible for him to make any decisions at all. He couldn't weigh important decisions from mundane decisions. All had equal value and all had infinite possible criteria to weigh. I mean, think about how many decisions we make effortlessly, but when you really analyze these simple decisions, they have countless factors. Hmm, I'm coffee shopping. Do I buy Starbucks coffee or Pete's coffee? Well, right now they're the same price, but normally Pete's is a dollar more, so I guess Pete's is the better deal, but... Even though it's a steeper discount, the bag is one ounce lighter, which makes Starbucks the better deal by weight. However, I usually like Pete's coffee more than Starbucks, so maybe it's best to buy the slightly smaller bag at the same cost. Oh yeah, the bag. Starbucks comes in a nice silver bag. The Pete's bag is brown. Also, the Pete's bag has more air on the inside, whereas the Starbucks is vacuum sealed. I think air in the bag can cause the coffee to oxidize and not taste as good. But I guess if the Pete's bag is filled with an inert gas, it wouldn't oxidize. Also, the date on the Pete's bag shows it was packaged more recently, which means it may have less oxidation anyway than the vacuum-sealed Starbucks bag because that one was packaged a longer time ago. You can see that no one in their right mind analyzes purchases this meticulously. But Elliot did, as well as his other brain-damaged, non-emotional peers, which to them made decisions exhausting. Let's talk about decision fatigue for a moment. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's the idea that as you make more and more decisions, your decisions become worse and worse or harder and harder because you're exhausted from having to make so many choices. The effects of decision fatigue were best illustrated in a 2011 paper titled Extraneous Factors in Judicial Decisions. Researchers reviewed over 1,100 parole hearings from eight different judges. Long story short, 
What they found was that judgments in favor of the parolee were not best predicted by the evidence presented, but by whether or not that judge had just returned from a break. The first hearing of the day had about a 65% chance of getting paroled, whereas the poor sop who saw the judge right before lunch had a near 0% chance of being let off. The next person, after lunch, his odds went back up to about 65% again. Keep that in mind next time you want to argue a ticket in court. Get that first appointment of the day. So do judges get tired of making so many decisions, or is there an emotional explanation? Well, according to neuroscientist Damasio, Elliot wanted to avoid the decision-making process because it was stressful, so maybe these judges just quit caring at some point. They are no longer in tune with their emotions, so it's harder for them to make a choice, and it's easier to go with the status quo. You're in jail. Let's keep it that way. For the record, people tend to favor inaction when they have to overthink. If you want proof, look at organ donor volunteer rates by country. If you want to know which countries have the highest percentage of citizens that agree to become organ donors, you don't need to know anything about that country's culture or its level of national pride. You just need to know if that country has an opt-in or an opt-out system. Here in the U.S., you check a box to become an organ donor on your DMV application. That is an opt-in system. We have much fewer volunteers than in Belgium, which requires its citizens to check a box if they do not want to be an organ donor. They have to opt out. Well, whether we're fatigued or don't care or whatever chemical change that happens in our brains that causes us to overthink or underthink decisions, at least we can take solace in knowing that those choices we make stick with us. Whatever our reasoning during that process, we can later reflect upon it and explain it to others because... We made that choice consciously, deliberately, and took factors X, Y, and Z into consideration. Actually, that's not true for most of us either. Experimental psychologist Peter Johansson is one of my favorite types of psychologists. He is a tricky bastard in a lab. Johansson enjoys watching magicians and was inspired by their sleight of hand. He decided to try to use this in a lab setting to get people to think that they made choices they didn't make. Then, he took hilarious notes as they tried to explain the hypocritical why behind their decision. Here is what he did. Johansson started simply enough. He invited subjects into his lab and showed them two pictures of people and asked the subject to pick the more attractive of the two. He took the pictures away, and after a bit of time, he gave the subject the least attractive picture of the two and asked, why did you rate this person as more attractive? Only about a quarter of the subjects recognized that the picture wasn't their initial choice. The other 75% were happy to share insightful details about why this person was more attractive than the other person, completely unaware of the fact that the pictures had been switched. Well, that's easy to confuse though, right? I didn't mention that the study took place in Sweden, so maybe it was hard to recognize that your previous choice was the blonde-haired, blue-eyed picture and not the dirty, blonde, hazel-eyed picture. And attractiveness is very in-the-moment. With unrecognized faces, it would be hard to remember. There is no way that something as well thought out as political positions are susceptible to such frivolous changes of heart. Guess what, though? Johansson repeated the experiment, this time with a survey of various issues that divide the left and right-wing parties in Sweden. He asked his subjects whether they were for or against these issues, took away their surveys, then gave them back surveys with all the answers changed and asked them to explain their stance. Fortunately, this time, everybody recognized the switch. They got extremely upset and attempted to burn down the lab. Just kidding. 
the results were the same as the attractiveness pictures. Most people didn't realize their answers were switched, and then they began to argue the positions that were opposite what they initially said they believed in. So what the hell is my point showing how our decisions are ultimately so subjective, emotional, and incoherent? I don't have one. It felt good to talk about. I'm just a living bag of meat reacting to my emotions, trying to enjoy as much time as I can before I become a dead bag of meat. But even when that day comes, I'll feel good about it because I check the organ donor box and hopefully a piece of my meat will get moved into somebody else's meat bag. By the way, I just want to bet that I could end a podcast with the word meat bag. Podcasts are still spread by word of mouth. So if you like this episode, ride that pleasant feeling and make the decision to share it with another meat bag.